Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. One of the biggest difficulties about being a pastor is that you were invited into people's mess, their heartache, their challenges, uh, their brokenness on a constant basis. You're invited into their deepest, darkest moments, and you're expected to have the answers to these questions. And the truth of the matter is, is that we all really struggle with the same questions. We're expected to help people navigate um, through these moments, these deep, dark times. And, and um, even the best of us, um, when it comes down to us, especially uh, as a young pastor, even the, the best of us, um, there just aren't quick fixes for all of us, knowing people, living with people in seasons where they're literally chasing daylight. I remember when I was young, I experienced a lot of loss, a lot of transition, a lot of changes. I moved a ton, lost many friends, was always on the move, trying to understand kind of something to hold on to that would give some sort of security. Um, uh, I lost a lot of friends and peers growing up through school, through sicknesses and disease. Um, I remember when I started getting a little older, a great friend of mine had hemophilia, and he received a tainted batch of platelets um, when he needed it and was infected with HIV virus, uh, and then at 15 died. I remember um, that same year that um, we had a, I had a friend that was in high school that was actually in our youth group, and on New Year's Eve, we were hanging out, and she, her dream was to be a pilot, and one of her gifts for Christmas was um, to uh, have some hours, some private pilot lessons <laughs> And there was a private pilot in Cessna, took her out the next day, and they had an unfortunate accident, crashed, and she, uh, we lost her that next day. These seasons of chasing daylight, I remember when I was 16 years old, I got invited by some friends in the church to come over and help them in the midst of their moment. Um, my friend, uh, he had um, ALS, it's called Lou Gehrig's disease, where your body is literally just shutting down. And my job, I'm this young kid, like a burly strong kid, they had a two-story house, couldn't afford to go anywhere else. My job was to come over once a week, pick him up, put him on my shoulder, carry him upstairs, and set him down because he was dead weight. So that way he could have a change of scenery, and uh, his wife could drag him into the bathroom then and bathe him, and the next week, come back, pick him up, carry him downstairs, set him down. Did that for six months, every single week, and I watched them struggle in the the depth of control that they didn't have of the situation as it literally was a chasing daylight for a moment for them. I remember sitting uh, in the room uh, the day that he passed away. He was at home, and I remember that I was the only one in the room. Everyone else had left. His wife went to go run an errand, and his son and other family went to the other room to have some food that we brought over, and I remember watching him take his last breath. And I remember um, they came back, and I remember his wife came home. She yelled at him said, you would. You'd wait until I would leave, wouldn't you? <laughs> Just give me a break. Watching people walk through these moments. As a young pastor, I remember specifically um, being called to go to the hospital. There was a young girl. She's 10 years old in our children's ministry. She was a disabled girl. And on her 10th birthday, she was at a roller skating party where they were pushing around and she got sick. She got sick with something called H1N1 virus or the pig flu, you may remember it as. And I remember going into the hospital, into the ICU, and having to get completely, like, gowned up, like crazy gowned up. And she's sitting there hooked up to all of these things. As a young pastor, I didn't know them that well. They didn't go to the church all that much. 
And I remember her father, who I've never met, who hadn't been to church, recognized me and asked me to be in there as his pastor and walked in. And I remember him yelling at the nursing staff, telling them, that's not my daughter. That's not what she looks like. And he had a picture in his hand of her with a smile on her face and said, this, this is my daughter. And I remember the nurse graciously taking it and saying, yes, you're right. She's beautiful. Taking a piece of tape and putting it above her bed. Grieving with them over the next day and then watching their young 10-year-old pass away. I remember being a young pastor still and a student in my youth group, uh, 17 years old, was in an accident that wasn't his fault, uh, that took his life. And I remember being in a church similar to this one in the back of the stage, um, crying, not understanding why God had chosen me for this moment to come out here and stand in a room of hundreds of his peers to try to talk about why the heck we're even here today. We are in those seasons. This doesn't have as much to do with being a pastor as it just has to do with being a friend. How are we with people in the midst of their chasing daylight moments? And if you're in one today, I'm here with you. And if you're not in one today, unfortunately, sometime soon or in the future, you will be. And you're going to be there and they're friends and there's going to be family and they're not going to know what to say. They're not going to know what to do. But there you are in what I'm calling a chasing daylight circumstance. And I've learned a lot over the years. I will continue to learn more. But through these experiences, I've learned this one thing that I know to be true. And that is that there's this in common. There is what I call a fellowship of suffering. This is understood when you've been in this. A fellowship of suffering is that there is this natural bond between those who have suffered deeply and similarly. There is this thing that you can't even touch that just is there with people who have suffered Deeply and similarly, I remember being young and my wife and I, we lost a child. We were in lament. We were suffering. Didn't know where to go. Didn't know what to do. Didn't even know how to walk through that circumstance and situation. And I remember, I remember what the hallway looked like as a guy approached me who I coached with, came up to me with his wife who had suffered deeply and similarly. And then let me know that I was not alone in the club that I did not sign up for. And I fellowshiped with him in the midst of suffering. That was incredibly, incredibly powerful. Because another explanation for this is that those who suffered are uniquely qualified to comfort those who are in suffering. He was uniquely qualified to comfort me in the midst of my suffering because he could just... We didn't have to say anything. He mentioned it. And what I realized and what you realize is you sit there and you think, I'm completely alone. No one else is feeling the way that I feel. I'm never going to feel normal again. No one understands. They say they understand, but they don't understand. But as soon as someone who comes up to you who suffered the same, that is uniquely qualified to comfort you when you're suffering, you realize I have a partner to sit in that boat with me. They don't got to say nothing. There we go. Nothing. The other thing that the fellowship of suffering is, is it's comfort from those who've been comforted is life-giving to those who need comfort. 
Comfort from those who've been comforted is life-giving to those who need comfort. I've seen it a hundred times in a hospital. When you're there, you're holding somebody's hand, you're crying with them. They've just learned that they've got this thing. They don't know how they're going to deal with it. They've just learned that there's a a break in this relationship. They've learned that you're not going to be able to retake that test, that you're not going to be in that environment, that you're not going to be able to do this career, this thing that you wanted to be. You're not going to get better from it. They're not going to be here tomorrow, whatever it may be. And I've seen time and time and time again people there in the support and wrapped around them, but it all changes, changes when someone else who's been comforted for this walks into the room and looks at them, and then it changes. It's suddenly life-giving to them. I'm not an alone. It's a fellowship of suffering. Lastly, this is maybe the most important piece. This is, this is the craziest piece of it. Comforting. Comforting is life-giving to the comforter as well. It's not just a give. There's a get in there. For those people who are in these chasing daylight moments, maybe to a degree they'll never really be out of it because I believe that there's wounds on this side of eternity that will never heal. That's why you wake up 20 years from now crying and you don't know why. Feeling broken, you don't know why. Or you know why. And people say like silly things, right? When are you going to get over it? I'm going to punch you in the face. When are you going to get over that? (laughs) Comforting is life-giving to the comforter as well. And that's what I really want to talk about today. We, uh, sorry, some of you are like, it is only 12.30 and you are like bringing it down, Davis. <laughs> this is some heavy stuff. I thought this was supposed to be like, happy church. <laughs> sorry. That's what you get. <laughs> we are in the midst of this uh, series uh, called Chasing Daylight. We're the third weekend out of four weeks. Um, and uh, where we've been dealing with and digging with this question of what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there's nothing? It's a Pikachu. <laughs> Get out of there. There you go. I just broke the ice for a bunch of you Pokemon freaks. All right. Some of you are like, this is ridiculous. I can't even run from it. There you go. It's happened. All right. You feel better? <laughs> We're totally normal. Okay, so the question is, what do you do when you can't catch a Pikachu? (laughs) Uh, When there's nothing that you can do. You see, like, is this just my new norm? Is this the new permanent? Is this just the way that it is? I didn't ask for it. I didn't sign up for it. But suddenly I'm finding myself right in the midst of it. And it's a mess. So what do you do when there's nothing you do? The first week when we started, we talked about this to understand and know this promise because Jesus showed us in the New Testament that God is not absent. He's not apathetic. And he's not angry. So many of us sit there and say, what did I do? He's angry at me. He's apathetic. He doesn't even care. And we talked about how Jesus proved it through the situations in his life. And God proved it by the sacrifice of his own son that he does know who you are. He does know your name and he does care about you. And he's not absent. He's with you. Chris last week touched on that in an amazing way. If you weren't here last week to hear an incredibly powerful story of someone who stood up here and said, I literally am a billboard of brokenness. Now let me go ahead and walk through my story in love and grace and peace. We learn in a big way, God to him is not absent and he shows up in very specific and real ways. Which brings us today, and then today I want to talk about the role of comfort and the comforter 
as it's part of the answer to what do you do when there's nothing you can do. And I'm going to jump to the New Testament and go into the book of the Bible called 2 Corinthians. Um, it was written as a, uh, you're ahead of me, take it off, sorry, distracting. All right, yeah, that's good. Uh, it's in 2 Corinthians, there's a book written by a guy named Paul. Uh, and Paul was actually an anti-Christian, wasn't even like the Christian, uh, was like anti, had actually gotten politics involved to go after Christians, said this is bad, not even a part of it. And in the midst of that, had an awakening experience, realized what the truth, that was actually the truth, became a Jesus follower, not only that, he became a giver of the gospel. He spread the good news of Jesus around and took it out of Jerusalem, out of Judaism. Uh, and essentially, there's good reason why we're even here today is because of Paul. And so he wrote a bunch of letters that we find um, in the New Testament. And he specifically wrote this one to the Corinth, the church of Corinth. And uh, you can read it in the Bible and you can actually go visit it uh, even today. So we're going to pick up there. It's in 2 Corinthians verse 1, 3. It starts out, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. There's a handful of you that sit there and go, See, Larry, this is why I don't do church, because that statement right there is nonsense. I understand what compassion means and comfort, but I don't understand, like, if God is a good God and a compassionate God and a God of comfort, then why does he let bad things happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my friend? Why am I not going to see my son tomorrow? Why am I not going to have this thing that I feel like I'm called to do or what I'm supposed to be a part of? So I don't get it. What I want to explain to you is I have some good news for you. Paul, the writer of this letter, was a realist. He struggled and understood that very same thing and believed that the Lord Jesus Christ is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort in the midst of the mess and chasing daylight moments. And what's really interesting is 12 chapters later, you see, where he talks about how he was given a thorn in his flesh and was unable to get rid of it. He pleaded three times to the Lord to take it away. It was humiliating. It was debilitating. It was permanent. It was uncomfortable. Now, pleading wasn't just a, oh, God, we're so, this is so wonderful. Will you just make this stop? I'm uncomfortable like I got a headache. It's not that. This is pleading, like three seasons of pleading, God, in this season. This is debilitating. This is permanent. This is humiliating. I need you right now. And it wasn't taken away. And still, in the midst of that, just like me and you, he still said praise. He started his letter that way. This was coming. It already happened. He was dealing with it. To God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, I still believe that you are the Father of compassion and the God of comfort. So then he continues, who comforts us in all of our trouble. Comforts right here specifically is like a powerful way. This is like a powerful empathy, a powerful I'm doing it with you, powerful courage and boldness who comforts us in all of our troubles. Um, when you're having problems, do you pray for comfort? No, I got an honest answer right there. No, you're right. No, you pray for it to go away. You're never like, God, I need you to comfort me. Will you please give me comfort in the midst of my troubles? Nuh-uh. You're like, will you just take this away, please? I don't want to do it anymore. It needs to go away. It needs to leave me, right? So he continues on, who comforts us 
in all our troubles so that, so we say, okay, Paul, like, let me guess, like, so that I'm comforted. No, he continues and said, so that we can. Well, what can we do? So that we can change our circumstance? No. So that we can make this go away? So that we can change what had happened and redo what that happened that morning? Maybe I wouldn't go to work that day. Maybe they wouldn't have gotten in the car that day. Maybe they wouldn't have had this really horrible phone call that blah, blah, blah. You know that you understand the progression. Nope who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See, there's times, friend, that God's going to deliver you from it, but there's other times that he's going to deliver you through it. For many of us, that's so difficult. There's times that he's going to deliver you from it, and other times he's not. He's going to deliver you through that. And what happens from that is that God comforts us in the midst of those moments to comfort others. I actually want you to say that little highlighted part out loud because I want you to understand what he does. So God comforts us. He comforts us. To comfort others. That is so powerful. Will you hang on to that? That's so powerful. That is so real. But it gets more real. God comforts us through others to comfort others. How many of you have experienced that? God comforts us through others and their pain and their fellowship of suffering to comfort others. I experienced this in a real way not even that long ago. I've been going through a very difficult season, my family and I, of just feeling out of control and at times suffering and just chasing daylight, literally. We uh, are what's called a concurrent family. We're foster adopt parents. We were bringing in a brand new child. We received a sick baby at six days old in our house that I call son and my children called brother. And, uh, he calls my wife mom. And uh, we've gotten to love and take care of him. And um, we uh, have gone through this season and this roller coaster ride of taking care of him where there's been these moments of like, hey, tomorrow he might be taken away. Tomorrow you might literally experience bereavement. Your children might deal with a loss. He may not ever have a dad again because you're his only dad and you're the only dad that he ever will know. And that's just the truth. And uh, walking through this extremely painful, confusing, difficult season to be like, I don't know how to deal with this. And uh, I was having a conversation with my friend because my best friend loves my family and my children as a father, literally like they're his children. He envelops him with his entire heart, with all of him, and he always has. And my little baby, he does the same thing with he knows him literally as another father. Uh, and he loves him that way. And I felt like I needed to thank him for it. And we were having a moment by ourselves. And guys, I recognize this is really difficult. We're like, I need to have a conversation with you, dude. Like, so hard for us to, like, think other dudes. We're like, yeah, cool. <laughs> so 
I needed to tell him, and I wasn't going to hold his hand or nothing, because that's what girls do. I need to talk to you. <laughs> you. No, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. I think I even got to the guard up. I think I talked to you. Uh, I just told him, I, I don't know how to say this. I can't thank you enough. You're an amazing person, and you literally love my children like a father, and they don't yet know what that means. And I'm so thankful for that because you're, you love this little guy. You're doing it with me. You're, God is comforting me through you. And he looked at me, and he said, and I wasn't prepared for this. He said, I was watching you. I was watching you how you're going to react to this situation. In the beginning, you were kind of keeping yourself distant because you're like protecting the family and your kids and just trying to see how this goes. And he goes, and then you dove in and you took that kid and you were dad. And you're completely dad. And I looked there and I had a decision to make. And what I decided was, um, if you're going to get hurt, I'm going to get hurt too. And I'm going all the way in. I'm going to love them all. And I was like... You're not supposed to say that, bro. <laughs> we, we, we're just supposed to like give a nod. Like, yeah, that was a good answer. <laughs> um, but you know, I didn't look at him and go, wow, that was like, you are amazing. I looked at him and said, God right then in that moment comforted me through somebody else. Because of that, I get to comfort other people. He continues on. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also comfort abounds through Christ. Many of you, this is why you don't read the Bible, because you're like, I don't get it, and move on. <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, I'm going to tell you really quickly. All right. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, this isn't saying that you've died on a cross. This is saying, like, Jesus actually came and walked and lived a life on this earth. He lost people close to him. He was a teenager. Just imagine what that was like. Um, he cried, he was happy, he was hot, he was cold, all of those things, right? So he's saying just as he suffered, like the, he's lived life and lived in the mess with us, so also our comfort abounds through him. So let me put this into a, a realistic application. Our capacity to comfort is determined by the degree to which we've suffered. That's real deal. Some of you has suffered deeply and immensely. But your capacity to comfort them it is a game changer. When you walk in there and you have a horrific moment, a very difficult, dark soul season where you're chasing daylight, and you walk in, and other people are there, they're there and, and, and uh, uh, next to them, they're holding their hand, they're hugging them, they're talking to them. But when someone walks in and you just look at them, there's something that's so special that happens that's beyond understanding because of their capacity to comfort you has been determined by that same type of suffering to sit there and live with them in that space. He continues to say, if we're distressed, he's talking, Paul's talking to his groupies right here. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you, I hate that this is in here, patient endurance. Seriously, you could have left that line out, right? If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces patient endurance. Gosh, that's so special. That's so serious. Patient endurance to live in the dark spots of people's lives. Of the same sufferings we suffer. Gosh, that's so difficult for some of us to realize, wait a minute, 
I never wanted to experience this. I don't even wish this on my worst enemy. Now someone else is experiencing it. I have to have patient endurance of the same things we suffer. I'm going to go and relive it again with someone else because it's the way God made this and it's so special that we get that opportunity. And our hope is in you. For it is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Be in community, friends. How do we do that? Small groups. We're in rows right now. We call this place a faith community because it's exactly what it is. It is a faith community. Some of us, I won't say anyone here, other churches, people at other churches come to church and it's an obligation. They check it off the list. They sit there and they make, I'm not saying anyone's doing this, they suddenly come up with grocery lists. <laughs> what do you want the grocery store? Where are we going to go for lunch? You're good. And, they, and they miss the opportunity of why God actually has us here right now to be in community with one another. It's a beautiful thing. Not to come here and sit in rows, but to be in circles. And we have circles every week. We have small groups. We don't want you to be in small groups because, oh, look at we have so many people in small groups. We want you to be in small groups because we know that's where life change happens. And that's where you deal with the nonsense that you're given in life. To comfort one another. To share in each other's sufferings. I'm in a small group. Friday night, I got a call. I love my small group people. They are dear to my heart. got a call. A horrific situation was taking place. It was 10 o'clock at night. Thankfully, my in-laws are in town this weekend. My wife and I got into the car. I drove her over to over their house at 10 o'clock, and we just went in and didn't even say anything. Sat with them. So that's where it happens, to be comforted. Went home, went back over there like 11.30, picked him up, came home. That's what that's about, small groups. That's why we have grief share groups. I've seen so many people come into our faith community, this faith community, and come and be a part of grief share. So they can walk into a room and say, no one's experiencing, no one understands, I'm not going to be happy again, nothing good can come from this, there's no purpose in continuing on, and someone else will sit there and say, be bold, be courageous, I'm there, and I'm sitting with you on that boat, we're going to live in the storm. It's beautiful what God does with his community. That's why we have divorce care, the same thing, broken relationships, bad decisions, hurtful Moments with family and just the transition. Blended families. That's why we have a recovery group that meets every single Monday night. Rain, shine, holiday. And it's not just for recovery from one specific thing. It's recovery from the things that are happening in life. Period. That we run to. Because we all just want to fix it. We need to fix it. And so we get to sit there together on Monday nights. And say, I'm with you. I'm going to comfort you, as God has comforted me and he's going to continue to comfort me through you. Be in community, in circles, not just rows, in this faith community. And then the coolest part is, is this last, the, the first service. I love that we had two spontaneous baptisms. Both of them, they weren't even together. Both of them came up here and stood in that water right there and said, I came here today because my friend invited me to come here to this faith community, and I just, what? I came here today because we, as a community, seek Jesus wholeheartedly to become wholehearted. And those signs out there cost us. And because it costs us, we get to change the way people view the church by being in circles and going out and inviting other people to meet in this community because God so loved the world and because he is the father of compassion and all comfort.
Amen. Would you bow your heads? If you're in here today and you're in that season, may you be comforted and know that you're not alone. Get a tribe. And if you're not in it, you will be one day. And you need a tribe. That's what this faith community is all about, and I'm thankful for that. If you're here today and um, you have not accepted or allowed Jesus to take your life over to be the Lord of your life, to truly be your comfort, the Father of compassion and comfort in all your troubles and all of you are, friends, he made death come alive. There's no bigger. He conquered death. And he will make the dead things of your life over and over and over and over again come alive in you if you accept them. That's your part. Because he is grace. He is mercy. And he can be your salvation. That's a real, real talk right there. So if you're here today and you have never handed your life, handed the keys over to your vehicle, handed your life over to him to say, I need you to drive. I need you to be in control of the situation. Or I'm going to let you be in control of the situation. Today's the day. And he's ready. And you will be. So if you're here today with everyone's heads bowed, would you uh, just raise your hand and look at me and allow me to uh, recognize you and pray for you as you've made that decision today? So God, we thank you for uh, just this opportunity that we can come and we can be comforted and we can be in community together. Would you continue to work through us and love us your name, for your sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.